Is everybody still uh, feeling good, feeling positive, feeling the warmth of the season, the joy of, of uh, Advent and as we head towards Christmas? Uh, now remember, we made a commitment last week that that is our starting point. We're not going to stop there. It's too easy, and most people do. They just stop right there. I feel good. I've entered into sort of the warmth of the season. We're going to start there because there is a joy and a hope and a reality that is profound, that far exceeds the good feelings that are so easy to feel. And we're pursuing that greater joy. And to do that, we have to step back and look at the big picture of Christmas, what's going on? And to do that, we are exploring the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It's just this beautiful description of what Christmas is, light coming into darkness. Last week, we talked about Jesus, the Word of God, the, the light and life coming into the world, and that Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God, that does not leave us with many choices. We really have two choices. You either have to crown him or kill him. We sing, uh, let earth receive her king. You either have to receive him as king and God, or you have to dismiss him as some crazy person or some liar. We don't have a lot of options. But if he is God and we receive him as God, then he is therefore also the creator of all things. And if Jesus is the creator of all things, we can understand life and we can understand the world around us. We can understand how all things work because we can know the creator. And without that knowledge, we are left with, we're left with science, which is good. It can explain a lot of things, but the more we think about it, even our ability to reason is based on the biochemistry of my brain and the atoms that are swirling around, and we're left with a lot of randomness and chance in the world. On the other end of the spectrum, we have science over here. On the other end of the spectrum, we had uh, spirituality, that there's some force beyond the physical world, this, this uh, impersonal force that we somehow can use or tap into to experience or understand life. The problem with that is that the truth or force that you are leaning on is contradictory to the truth or force that someone else does, and, and people fight over these things, and it creates war and discord, and it, it's self-contradictory nonsense when these things just don't match. So on either end of the spectrum, we don't have a real satisfying thing, but Jesus, if Jesus is the way and Jesus is the truth and Jesus is the life and light of the world, then we can have a, a grounding and a, and a solid foundation of our faith. Now, that was a little bit too philosophical for some people, so let's just have some fun. We have a picture of a bunny rabbit. We'll try to take it down low. You get the bunny rabbit grazing on the grass there. So, um, but actually, what's going on here, that's a, a cute duck who's staring at clouds, lying on his back on the grass, right? See that? It's kind of cute. He's kind of a cartoon duck. Okay. Let's try the next one. We got another one. Okay, this is a guy playing the saxophone. See him kind of a silhouette of a jazz guy playing sax. Actually, a, a woman's face. Can you see the woman's face? Her, her left eye is, is a black, and then she's got a shadow on well, what's on our left-hand side. Her nose is that line. Can you see that? See the woman's face a little bit? Her nose, point, if you see it, point it to your friend. The bottom of the saxophone is under, is her neck, under her chin. All right, skip that one, didn't work. All right, <laughs> try the next one. There's a dog, he's a little surprised to see us. His ears are straight up, you know, he's kind of surprised. But if you flip him around, the other way, 
Yeah, turn him around upstairs. Yeah. See, it's a cat. We're looking down at the cat. It's on the rug with little paws out in front and the ears are backwards. You're looking down at the cat and the ears are pointing out. See that? That's a good one. All right, try the next. You see the cat yet? Yeah, okay. Is that moving to anybody? Skip that. That one doesn't work on the big screen. That works fantastic on my computer screen. Blew my mind. This one is good, though. See the horse on the left and the frog is on the right. That's the same exact image, turned 90 degrees counterclockwise. So what, what, the nostril of the horse is the eye of the frog. See that? Here's what you do. Just turn your head, just turn your head 90 degrees and you see the frog. Or just turn this way. Don't be embarrassed. Just turn it all the way. Oh, there's the horse. Same exact image. You got it? Yeah. All right, good time. The, sometimes there's something there and you can't see it. You need somebody to describe it to you, describe what they see so that you can see it too. And today we're exploring the question, how is it that people can come to know Jesus as the light of the world? And if I wanted to witness to light, I brought a flashlight here. I always say you can never have enough knives and flashlights and lighters because you don't know if you ever need to cut, illuminate, or ignite something. And um, that was just a flashlight. But this little flashlight, um, I think my father-in-law gave me this. I don't need to witness to this light. It's self-evident. It just I don't have to say, here is a light. You just, you just see it. Jesus is the light of the world. Light has come into the darkness, yet we think it's a, it's a strange concept that we need to witness or describe that light to others for them to see it. Because there is a, 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 you wouldn't be able to see this. The only way you wouldn't be able to see this is if you had some sort of blindness that needed to be overcome. And that's what we're going to look at today. The answer to how do people come to see Jesus as the light, we see right here in verse 7. It was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. So it is through this witness that, that all believe. So a witness testifies to the light, and that's how faith and belief comes about. So I want to uh, make three points about this idea about witnessing to the light. The first is this. I'll give you all three. The first is that John was a witness to the light, and so are you. Second point is that John was not the Christ, and neither are you. And my third point is that John ate bugs. What about you? Okay? We'll get to those. Let's pray as we do this. Father God, you're good. You are here. Thank you for this family. We get to worship together as a spiritual family, as your sons and daughters who you love, and we gather in your name. We just ask now, Lord, just do your work. May your kingdom come in and through us as we gaze into your word, as we consider all of who you are and what you've accomplished, Lord. Be our teacher. We give this time to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, John was a witness to the light, and we are too. Now, there's two Johns in this account. So we're reading from John chapter 1. John was written by a man named John. John's a solid name. I like that name. Uh, he, 
He was, known, he was John the disciple. He wrote the gospel. He wrote the letters in the New Testament, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And he was also known as the beloved disciple or the disciple who Jesus loved. He was very close to Jesus, very, uh, among all the disciples, really uh, in a close relationship with Jesus Christ. He's talking about a man named John, who we sometimes refer to as John the Baptist. Or John, we, uh, he was... He was we sometimes call him John the Baptizer because he's no more a Baptist than I'm a Congregationalist. But John, it's John the Baptist because he was baptizing people. It was this uh, religious rite of passage. It was a ceremony by which uh, that symbolized people's repentance and cleansing from sin and, and, and receiving new life. And so John the Baptist was on the scene. And his role, his job, was to testify to this light, Jesus, that's coming into the world. And right when he sees Jesus the first time, he said, look, that's the Lamb of God who takes away all the sins of the world. He named who Jesus was and what his role was, that Jesus is a lamb, he's a sacrifice, and he's, the, the purpose of his sacrifice is to cleanse you completely from your sin. And here, here's taking away the sins of all the world is for everybody. Even but that was when John first saw Jesus. Even when John the Baptist was in utero, he, uh, Mary, who was also pregnant, came to visit her, uh, her, her cousin Elizabeth, and, and John the Baptist, even in the womb, was acknowledging Jesus' presence. As, as, uh, in, if, I don't know if you've read in the Free Church Writer's Devotional. We have a little devotional book we'd love for you to have. If you don't have it, and you're not reading along, please pick one up at the welcome desk. But one of the writings this week was reflecting on the, John as this witness. And why, though, do we need a witness to a light that's coming into the world? And the Bible explains it like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's a blindness and, and Satan and sin create this blindness to the truth of this light. Jesus himself said it. He was out. He was the light. He was in the world and he's not being recognized. And he's teaching about the kingdom and he's teaching in parables and he told his followers, Matthew chapter 13, he said, this is why I speak in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. He said the light can be right in front of your face. You don't actually see the light. They, you can hear it but not really understand or hear it, and it can be right there. There's a sense that even though the light is not, present, not everyone sees it. But here's the good news. God does not leave people in their blindness. That God takes away and he sheds the blindness so that people can see the light. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God shines light into people's hearts so that they can actually see Jesus for who he really is and experience all that he offers. How does God do this? God does this through the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel, I use that word gospel all the time, and I don't ever want anybody to forget what I'm talking about. When I say the word gospel means good news, it's the news of what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. That Jesus Christ has come and he has uh, lived a life we could never live and he died a death we deserve to die in our place as our substitute. 
that we might receive new life in him. This is the news of Jesus. So as that news is witnessed to, as it is testified to and proclaimed, God uses that to remove blindness from people who don't see it. Jesus said to his followers, Matthew chapter 5, he said, You are the light of the world. Your light shines before all people that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So people are going to see your life and your life can shine this light, testify to this light and be turned to God. Jesus told his disciples explicitly in Acts chapter 1, he said, you, my followers, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea to the ends of the earth. And so this is for all of Jesus' followers. At different times and places, there's been people who have a special role, like John the Baptist, to be a specific kind of witness. Even the Apostle Paul, Jesus appeared to him. In Acts chapter 26, he's describing the story. Jesus said to him, he said, I'm sending you to them. I'm sending you to, the, to non-Jewish people, to Gentiles. He said, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He said, look, I'm sending you specifically to these people so that you can be a witness to the truth of what Jesus has accomplished. That's, it's, it's in many ways quite simple. Something was experienced and it was passed along to someone else. And as it's passed along, God is using that for other people to experience it. John, the disciple now, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple is writing a letter, 1 John chapter 1, and I put the words up on the screen for you, if we have them, um, says this, it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, testified to it. And we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. That's witnessing. There's something I've seen, something I've heard, and, and I'm proclaiming it to you so that you can join in in this connection with God. But what is the message? Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, and we declare to you, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. But if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. We do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. He's saying, look, this is, we've seen it, we've touched it, we've heard the message, we're proclaiming to you what we've heard. This is it. God is light and there is darkness and light and darkness cannot have fellowship. They are incompatible. They are exact opposites. And if you claim that you have no darkness, you're miss, you, you've, you're, you're living in a lie. That darkness is in you and it needs to be dealt with. But if you confess that darkness to God and receive the blood of Jesus, which is the sacrifice for that, it's the price that was paid for that, it purifies, it cleanses completely from that. And you can have fellowship with God. You can know God. And therefore, 
like we talked about last week, if I know the God of the universe and I'm in fellowship with him, I can understand the world around me in a way that I never could have before. I can experience his presence and his peace and the hope and the love and the making sense of the crazy world. Making sense of a very dark world. But these are the first-hand witnesses. Remember, John's not witnessing to an idea or a philosophy. John the Baptist, he's witnessing to a person who he saw. John the disciple, same thing. It's what he saw, what he heard. Therefore, their testimony is very important. What these first-hand witnesses saw and are relaying that they heard, the accuracy of that is very, very important. And for me personally, in my own faith journey, this was a huge issue for me. This was a uh, sort of a crisis of faith. I remember in college, this was a struggle. Because if their first-hand witness is not correct, then I don't... Because I only believe because they saw it, they witnessed to somebody else who witnessed down through the generations, and I've received that. But what if, what if this isn't accurate? It's New Testament scripture particularly, because it seemed to me that Jesus never commanded his followers to write down my words and consider them the word of God. Yet that happened. And there was all these writings. The early Christians were writing to each other. Groups, individuals were writing to churches and groups. And these got collected by leaders and considered the very word of God, the, the very scriptures, on par with the Old Testament prophets and, and writings. And, and I, I, how is this? It, it, how can we be so confident in this? And it was a long journey of searching and asking a lot of questions and not getting a lot of good answers. And just, uh, But... What happened, though, that was one of the last questions before I felt like I could really consider my life all for Jesus. And I don't always live that well. But that I would be willing to sacrifice and give everything for him because it's true. But I needed that. I need to know why we believe those firsthand witnesses. So what I want to do is invite you, if you have that question in your own mind or if you know somebody, tonight in this building, in the lower hall, we're going to have a presentation about why the Bible is reliable and true and why we believe these things to be the Word of God and why these, this witness is accurate. Because again, if this, if this first-hand witness is, is not accurate, then the rest of it doesn't matter. So come back tonight. is information in the bulletin, I believe, about that. But a lot of people never, never even look at first-hand witness. They don't consider people who walked with Jesus what they say. They only... Um, they can, you know, they wouldn't read the Gospel of John. They might read an article or a book about the Gospel of John that either agrees or disagrees with it, but they never actually look at it, and it's so important. The American Bible Society did a poll in uh, 2013. They said this: more than half of more than half of Americans think the Bible has too little influence on a culture they see in moral decline. Yet only one in five Americans read the Bible on a regular basis, according to their survey. Very few people, most people somehow want it or need it, but never look at this firsthand witness. And one in five, and I'm sure in New England, I'm sure that number is even lower than that. But if you, if you are in a dialogue with somebody about who is Jesus and why you follow Jesus, I would encourage you to 
Get them to read firsthand witness. What did people see and, and hear of Jesus? Or if you're on that journey yourself, read the Gospel of John. Read the firsthand account. Because we need that witness. In a sense, if you have believed and you've received that, you now become a firsthand witness. Because there is now... A, there's now a new life and a light within you. The Spirit of Christ is alive and real in you. Now, the firsthand witness is very objective. You know, we saw it, we touched it. Ours is much more subjective, but they're both real. It's a very real experience of Christ. And you can, if you've received it, you can share it with someone else. If you've never received it or you're not sure, you can receive it. As that scripture I just read, you just... Confess your sin to God, and he is faithful. He will forgive you. What Jesus accomplished on the cross is good for you. You can actually experience it even today. You can come forward and pray with a prayer partner today and, and experience and receive that. But once you've received it, you then have the honor, the joy of passing that along to someone else. John the Baptist was a witness, and so are you if you've experienced it. Again, it's a simple concept, but it can become trickier, we, gets, we, we get in our own way. And I'll give you some practical ways to, that you could try to live this out later. But, um, but before we do that, I want to consider our second point. So first point is John was a witness and so are you. Secondly is that John was not the Christ and neither are you. So I am not the Christ. And I want you to say that out loud just to remind yourself. One, two, three. I am not the Christ. Now, I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you, and I want you to remind them, you are not the Christ. <laughs> can you help me out, too? Can you, just, can you just say for me, remind me, Pastor, you are not the Christ. Pastor, you are not the Christ. <sighs> All right. This was, that was part of John's witness, John the Baptist. He, challenges came against him in his ministry. The religious leaders. So he was, he's proclaiming that, that Jesus is the Christ and coming into the world. And he's witnessing to it. And the religious leaders went to him and they said, who are you? you know, what's going on here? There's all these people being baptized. There's, there's kind of a crowd. and there's, Something is powerful here and something's happening. Who are you? Are you the Christ? And John chapter 1, verse 20. John the Baptist did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They said, well, who are you? Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? Are you Isaiah? Are you? No. John said, and he made a big claim about himself. He said, there's a passage of scripture that was written about me in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40. He said this, uh, John replied, with the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. He said, you know who I am? I'm the one who's crying out, God's on the move. The kingdom of God is coming, and it is at hand. Get ready. Pave the way. Later in his ministry, so Jesus is now on the scene, and he's teaching, and crowds are starting to come, and his disciples are baptizing people, and it's, people are being healed, and the kingdom of God is being proclaimed, and there's a whole new thing going on. But John the Baptist, his followers, were feeling a little bit down. They were getting in religious debates with some other 
teachers and leaders and uh, the arguments were starting to develop. The morale of his, fo- of his followers, his disciples, was very low. And they went to John the Baptist and they said this. This is John chapter 3, verse 26. They came to John the Baptist and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, that one you testified about, Jesus. Well, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. So, you know, hey, we were doing our thing and we were following you and we're out here in the desert and we're eating bugs and we're wearing funny clothes, and, but, but everybody's following him. And this was the response. John told his followers, he said, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. And he goes on to say, he must become greater, I must become less. If Jesus is God, then he is the great I am. That means that I am the not so great I am not. We have to be okay with that. And this is, this is perhaps one of the most amazing parts of all of this that we might miss as we witness to Jesus and to the light of who he is and as we experience him. The light isn't something within me. There's this light that I have to tap into that I conjure up from within myself. The light is something external to me that is apart from me, that is coming to me, that I am pointed to by others. It is Jesus. And my life is in him. Therefore, I am not the one. I am not the savior of the world. I don't have to try to solve all the world's problems. And, and my goodness, there are problems in our world. And we said last week, whatever you do this week, you're going to see evil in the world. And we see evil in the world. But even in my own life, I don't have to solve all the problems of my own life. I don't have to fix all the problems of my family. And this gets amplified around the holidays and at Christmas. It just it becomes very complex. You know, if I could just, we, and we get this savior complex. If I could just buy the right gift, you know, I'll be, I'll be the, a good spouse. I'll be a good father. If I could just keep the peace in my family. And I'm, I'm a youngest child and I have three big sisters. And my role growing up, I was sort of the entertainer. Keep everybody happy. Keep everybody entertained. And, and be, the, you know, be the baby and be the funny one. And it, I can't keep it all together. I can't keep peace in my family. I can't make everyone get along. I can't carry the weight of that. It's in God's hands. It's God's work. Yes, we have a role to play, but we need to just keep reminding ourselves, I am not the Christ. I have a great privilege to witness to his work and to see him at work in my family and in my life, and, but I am just a witness. I don't have to force it. And Therefore, when we proclaim Christ to the world around us, we're not forcing Christ on anyone. Christ is the one who's advancing his light into the world. We're just part of it. We're witnesses to it. But just remember, you are not the Christ. All right. So John was a witness, and so are we. John was not the Christ. He's very clear about that. Neither are you. John, he ate bugs. What about you? And I say that because part of his spiritual preparation was a, he was an ascetic. He had a strange diet and strange clothes, and he was out in the wilderness. Uh, how do we live this out? How do we prepare ourselves to be a witness that we've been called to be? Three things, and I'm going to call it prayer, care, share. And I've shared these with you before. 
Prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. God opens people's eyes to see the light. And we pray for that to happen. Prayer is central to our witness. And we've just spent all these weeks this fall talking about prayer, experiencing prayer, understanding prayer. But we must be praying to be a witness. And how did we learn how to pray? Jesus said, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We worship God. But the, next, the very next thing we pray, your kingdom come. Lord, may your kingdom come in my life. May your kingdom come in my neighborhood, in my place of work. May, may people's eyes be open to the truth of the light of Jesus, to, to the work of your kingdom, what Jesus has accomplished. May it come. We have to, as a community of witnesses, we must be praying this. That's why we encourage people, pray for six. Just pick six people, write their names down, pray for them every day, or pray for one a day, or however you want to do it. Put that in your Bible, put it next to your bed, put it in your car, wherever you're going to be reminded to pray for people in your life. and Pray that their eyes be open. Pray that light would shine into their darkness. Some people hate lists, and they don't like the pressure of that. So pray for one. You don't even have to come up with a name. Just, God, give me one. Lord, as I go about my day, bring one person into my life who I, might, who I could love, who I could be a light for, who I could be a witness to. God, give me one. Whether it's pray for six, pray for one, however you pray, pray that God's kingdom would come, that we'd be witnesses. That's prayer. But there's also care. Again, Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Good deeds, people see our good deeds, the good work we do, and it points to God the Father. It's part of witnessing to the light. There's so many needs in our world. People have physical or kind of practical needs. People need food, and we can feed them. And you can feed somebody through a ministry of this church and our, our missions partners and community partners. We could, we could feed people or we could be generous towards somebody or help, just helping a neighbor with a project or a coworker who you're not responsible to help them, but you have an opportunity. You just, whenever we can help, whenever we can serve, we can care for people's very impractical ways. But people also have relational needs. This world, this world is a very lonely place. And people are, are hungry for authentic relationship, and that is something that you can offer to somebody just by listening to somebody, taking extra time with someone, inviting somebody over for a meal. Some of you do that. You just Your house is always open. You're always inviting people over. But think, when was the last time you had someone over to share a meal? You have to eat anyway. Include a neighbor, include a coworker, a friend. Spend that time, share the food. Ask good questions. How do you feel about all the darkness we see in the world, the things we've seen in the news this week? How do you make sense of that? And listen. But as you listen, the questions are going to come, well, what about you? How do you make sense of a dark world and evil? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about light that comes into dark places. So people have relational needs, and we can enter right into that. But people have spiritual needs, and they're disconnected from God, but you are not. So you can offer to pray for somebody. Hey, that thing, can I, do you mind if I'm going to be, I'm going to let you know I'm going to be praying for you. 
Or can I pray with you right here? Would, would you mind? Because I trust God and I want to lift this up for you. So there's just ways that you can care. So prayer, care, and finally share. It's not just about being nice and, and doing good deeds, but also sharing the gospel, speaking what Jesus did for the world. And can you do that? If somebody said, hey, what is the gospel? I hear this word gospel. What is it? Could, do you have an answer for that? The Bible commends us that we need to have an answer for the, for the hope that we have. You, you need to have that. I'll give you an easy one that you could use. If I were to put you on the spot and quiz you and say, what is the gospel? You could just say, light comes into darkness. What do you mean? What's darkness? Darkness is sin and brokenness and separation from God. What's light? Jesus is the light. Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life of light. And he trades me that light for my darkness. He does that on the cross. It cost him his life. But he's greater than even death. He rose again. Light into darkness. There's all kinds, there's different ways you could explain it. But are you ready to share the gospel? You could share your testimony, your experience of the light in your life. Just any, speak of your church, speak of your small group, speak of what God is doing. I have a friend who serves with one of our breakfast ministries in the church, and he goes to work. And he said, hey, I, I'm having a great morning. I, we were at the homeless shelter, and we were feeding folks, and it was really just a good morning. And the coworker, the question always comes up. How'd you get, how'd you get connected to that? How was it that you came to get up early in the morning and feed homeless people? And he says, well, I'm in a small group with some guys, and we decided that we wanted to serve together, and, and this is what we do. What's a small group? Why do you meet with other guys? Now you're sharing your story. Now you're pointing to what God is doing. Um, so you can share that. So you can share the gospel, share your story. You can also share an invitation. Very simple. Grab the invitation right out of the pew. You can hand it to somebody. Hey, come check out a Christmas Eve service. Come to an Alpha Christmas party. Uh, come to something. Just invite somebody to, to show up where they, will, they can be pointed to the light. Prayer, care, share. On a very practical note, if just everybody in the room could just think of, on any of those levels, prayer, care, or share, is there something you can do tomorrow? This time tomorrow, so wherever you will be at 11.25 tomorrow morning, is there a way that you could pray or care or share with somebody the light? And, and you're not the Christ. You're not the Savior. But we are called to... If we know the Savior, we can bear witness to it, just like John did. And, and this is how this is God's intent. This is how God set up the light coming into the world, that he uses the witness of his people to open people's eyes. I, I was, so I've been studying John chapter 1, and I pulled this the past few weeks. I've been swimming in this text, and I'm, I've been enjoying it. But I pulled this book off my bookshelf. This is John Calvin's commentary on the Gospel of John, volume 1. And I opened it up, and in the front cover it says, this book belongs to Erwin W. McLean. And that's my great-grandfather, who I never met. He died long before I was born. And I got this book from the library of my uh, grandfather, who I did know. And he, oh, and he had marked up the portions that we've been preaching on. So his, hand, his handwriting's in there. I can see what he underlined and little comments and cross-references he made. So I called my mom because I, I didn't know him, and I, I know a little bit about him. I said, Mom, tell me more about Erwin uh, W. McLean. She, she said, oh, yeah, he was an accountant. 
And he was an accountant during the Great Depression, but he was not depressed at all. He was doing very well. And he, he saw what, everything that went on in the country, but himself was, they, they were quite wealthy. And he got through that, and I think that was part, or my mom at least thinks that, that that was part of what drove him to really appreciate his relationship with God and how God had blessed him, and that he didn't struggle the way that other people did, at least in the financial sense. And he, he uh, left the accounting world and went into Christian ministry. He became a pastor, and he was a real fiery pastor, and uh, real kind of fire and, and brimstone kind of, not the gentlest guy, but really on fire for the Lord. And, um, yeah, I think my grandmother got some of that, too, and then I think um, other family members. But the, uh, but the point is this, that he, was, he, he felt that he had received something special from God and that he had, uh, therefore, an opportunity and a joy to share that with the world around him. And I benefit, he told my grandmother about Jesus, and, and she came to faith. And my mother, through her te- witness and testimony, came to faith, and then she, shares, she shared that with me as a child about who Jesus was and what he accomplished. And my journey's been all kind of crazy, but uh, it was the witness of my mother that laid a foundation of this. This is, this is how it works. It's the faithful witness of one to the next generation, or not just in a family, but in a, in a community, in a neighborhood, in a place of work, in a school, or wherever you are, that you become a generation of faith to witness to the work and person of Jesus Christ. We all need to see that we've been given something precious from God and that we've been turned from darkness to light and now we can proclaim with joy, share that light, share that light with someone else. You are the light of the world. Share the light of the gospel so that God might turn other people from darkness to light. Amen.